right. Well, welcome to Tuesday night Bible study with the teens here. We're going to get started with a word of prayer, and then we will get going. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done for us, and we thank you for caring for us. Just we ask that you'd help us to be thinking about you and open up your word and what you have to say to us this night, Lord, and help us to think about these stories and apply them to our lives and the things that we do and think about. And just, we are grateful for what we have. Grateful for this time we can have here and technology that we can reach out to people. We thank you for all of those things in your name. Amen. All right. Well, what have we been doing? It's been seems so disconnected to me because it's been a while since I've been up here. Uh, but what have we been working on? Abraham. Well, not technically Abraham yet, right? Abram. And Abraham will come into play tonight. We should get to that point. Abram and his wife... Sarai, or however you pronounce that. Abram and Sarah, Sarai, uh, we've been talking about their life from the beginning of what we know it as all the way through to the end. If you remember, Abram had several challenges, okay? Things that he did well on, and other things he didn't do so well on. Okay, so what was his big beginning challenge? We find he comes from a place called Ur, right? And what's his big challenge? What does God challenge him with? First step of faith. Yeah, he has to leave. He has to get up and leave. His family. So we talked about that and we watched as he progressed, of course, his family and his wife's family that he's living with all has, they all believe in other gods. Okay, so he's stepping away in faith. God says, I want you to get up, I want you to go. And then God begins to give him promises. Okay, he's got a couple of major promises that come out again and again and again in his life. Which ones are they? When he gets up and goes, where does he go? The promised land, okay? The promised land, which we know as Canaan later on, but really, it's, it's a land that God says, you go, walk this land, I'll give you every step you, you go to, every place you step where your feet step, I'm going to give you that as the promised land. Within these borders, walk all over it. Look at it. Okay? It's my promise to you. And then what's the other one that comes up? Big one in his life. Yeah. Okay, you are going to be a father of a nation. Okay, father of a nation. And so, Abram's pretty old when he gets that promise. I think he was in his 70s. Okay, when he gets that promise. And 
We're going to see him in his 80s after a few years. He's been in there, okay? And we're going to see all of these, these things happen and take place. And his life just sort of keeps marching on. God says, get up and go, and I'm going to give this great promised land to your descendants. So really, even the promised land hinges on him being a father, right? And so Abram is thinking about this, okay? All right, so when you're in your 70s, uh, pretty much at this point in our lives, we're thinking, yeah, it's over, buddy, right? It's over. But God is not thinking that. Right? God is not thinking it's over, you're not going to be a father anymore. But Abraham is like, okay, God said it, and I'm going to believe it. But then time passes. And as time passes, the promise that God makes just doesn't seem as fresh in his mind anymore. And it just seems much, much more difficult. More obstacles, more problems more things that just can't be done. And so the promise seems further and further away, and that's difficult. That's where his faith comes in, is he's saying, I'm getting older, nothing is happening here. And years pass. He comes in and he starts to walk around, and years pass as he goes through. All right? So Abraham separates. <clears throat> then... Abraham goes into Egypt. Okay, that's one thing. We go, he goes into Egypt and he does one of the first things that he really is shown to kind of mess up with. All right? You remember Pharaoh takes his wife, Sarah, says, Hey, I'm going to take her as my wife. She's beautiful. Now, she is old already. Okay? If he's in his 70s or early 80s at that point, she is then about 70. Okay, and she's got to be pretty amazingly beautiful for a king to steal her. Okay, right? <laughs> she probably doesn't look like she's in her 70s, I guess. Um, she has definitely got a lot of youth and a lot of beauty. Okay, so this is a, a, a thing that Abraham's, oh, just tell her you're my sister, you know, when you get there. I'm sure that'll all work out somehow. And God says, no way. I'm going to protect her because this promise is between you and me, Abraham, not anybody else. Sarah is a part of this promise, okay? Sarah is a part of this promise. And Abraham never thought anything different until time passed, okay? Time passes on things become a little more difficult to believe because you think God didn't fulfill that promise yet. He probably never will. He probably never will fulfill that promise. And yet, God's intention all along and his plan is to fulfill that promise. Okay? So that's where Abram, as time goes on, as you see things that get promised, and then it's more and more difficult. Okay? more and more difficult to believe what's really going to happen. All right. So then we see that Abraham and his nephew Lot are there and their, their flocks become so big that they separate. 
Abraham gives Lot the choice because he believes that God will protect him. Of course, Lot looks out and says, hey, that side's all green. I'm taking that side. You take the rough, terrible mountainsides. You go and do that. And God still blesses Abraham in those mountainsides. Lot goes down and Lot gets in trouble. Okay? Lot actually gets stolen away and Abraham brings his army. You remember there was a king that Abraham fought against and I always remember this name, Cheddar Laomer, Laomer because this is a funny name. I don't know. You name it after cheese, it seems like you ought to be good. Now, it's not exactly like that, but he goes and he fights and he wins. Abraham wins with just his group of servants and people that hang around with him. Okay, he's got some 300 men that will fight with him. He's all done. He goes back and he meets the king, priest, guy that shows up once in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And then again, later on, way down the line, he shows up in the New Testament. He's talked about this Melchizedek. All right. You remember Melchizedek? What's strange about him is nobody really seems to know much about him at all. Now, there's lots of characters like that in the Bible where they come and they say something about them in one chapter of the Bible, and it just sort of passes on in history. But there's very few that are later on used to compare to Christ as somebody that's just like mentioned in a verse or two here or there. Okay, to say, oh, he's just like Melchizedek. Christ is compared to him way later on. Uh, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews where he talks about Christ being a high priest like Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a leader and a priest, a king and a priest. And in that way, Jesus comes along and takes what was separate there was a line of kings through Judah. And who was the line of priests through? Hey, Levi. Right, right, right. So Levi, the tribe of Levi, is the ones who are chosen as the priestly tribe. Okay? And then... The tribe of Judah is chosen as the kingly tribe. And that's where the kings come out of and the priests come out of. Until Jesus comes along, who is like Melchizedek in that he is priest and king. He is high priest over us. He goes to God. He is who is, um, he is our mediator okay, between God and man. And that's what a priest is. To stand in between God and man and ask for them, uh, supplicate for them, see if they can um, pray to God for them, do things that are a certain priestly duty. All right, And if you remember, the high priest in the Jewish religion went once a year into the Holy of Holies. Now, Jesus, as that perfect high priest, broke open, tore the curtain of the Holy of Holies, and now 
It's totally God is approachable through him. Okay, so he finished the work which God put in as a picture in the beginning to say, well, there's these kings and there's these priests and none of them all get it right. It's kind of been separated until Jesus comes along and he's not like any of the others. Remember, King Saul was a person who he thought, well, he should go and he should uh, offer up a sacrifice because the priest didn't quite show up yet. Samuel, who was the prophet and the priest, came. Well, he didn't show up yet, so I'm going to do it. And God said, no way. You're, you're gone. You lost the kingdom. It does not work that way until Christ comes along. So that's how he's in that order of Melchizedek. Okay? So we, it shows up in Abraham's life, which is interesting. And then Abraham is given that choice. And he gives, he gives some uh, gifts, I'll say, some offerings to Melchizedek. And then he's given a choice. Then they, they go back and they say, you know, you just defeated all these people. Chedorlaomer and all of his people and all the kings that were fighting with him, you defeated them. You, you should have some of the spoils of war. So he makes that choice, and then God immediately begins to talk with him. Now, he's thinking, I wonder if this guy, this king, is going to come back after me. And he says, thinking about these things, and God comes and says, fear not. I'm your shield, and I am a covenant with you. I'm creating a covenant with you. So I'm your shield, I'm your reward, I'm what you need in this life, not all the other things. And Abraham knows that. Although Abraham is a rich man. Okay, Abraham does pretty well for himself. God blesses him, but he does not put his riches and wealth before God. Okay, He is always seeking after God. It's more important to him. All right? So we see all these things. Come down the line, and this promise is ever looming. You're going to be the father of a nation, the father of a nation. The years are passing. He's doing great things. He has faith. He believes, but his mind begins to try to work things out. All right? When, when my second child was to be born... One night, I think I was studying in, in the night time um, or early morning, probably for a Sunday school class or for a Tuesday night, and uh, very clearly before the baby was born, before we never knew what it was going to be, we just knew that we were going to have a child, God said to me, the name is Elijah. I said, okay, hey. I mean, and it was those words which I then thought, well, the name's Elijah. It's a boy. So I went on and I told my wife about it. And I said, well, believe it or not, believe it or whatever. But this is what I was told. The name is Elijah. So she says, well, then I guess we only need to buy boy things. 
if that's what it really is going to be. <clears throat> Imagine my surprise when the boy came out as a girl. And I was so positive of what God told me. But stunned. Like, I don't, what, what does this mean? And as I began to ask myself that, we had been looking through the name book because we had to pick a name, couldn't name the girl Elijah, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was really, I kind of walked away, I think it was in the bathroom for a minute, and I was like, I don't know what to even think about this God. And pretty clearly to my mind came this, I never said it would be a boy. The name will be Elijah. So there was a click in my mind. And we had a name, of, a list of names, a pretty short list of names that we had gone through. And I went back and I looked at that list of names. And one was Elise. And I went and searched in the name books that we had where they came from. And guess what Elise means. Elise is a female version of Elias, which is Elijah in Greek. Who knew, right? <laughs> well, God knew. And God told me. And it was so very clear because in my mind I said, well, that's got to be the way it's going to work. Because if the name's Elijah, that's the only way it can be. God says, no, it's not. I told you very specifically what it's going to be. And in my mind, I made up the rest of how it worked. Because I knew it had to be that way. And yet, it really wasn't that way. So, here we see, we're going to step back into chapter 15 to begin with Abraham. Because there's one important piece chapter 15 for just a couple of verses of the book of Genesis. And as we look at the book of Genesis, chapter 15, we're going to see Abraham's been thinking. All right? He's getting older. Promise hasn't come yet. And he's been thinking about this whole thing. Chapter 15 of book of Genesis, verse number 2 through 6. Would you guys please read that? All right, so Abraham's been thinking. There's a law for people in his land, or a tradition at least, a people in his land. If a man dies, then his head servant, who has been born in his house and has lived in his house his whole life, 
his head servant <clears throat> becomes the heir to his throne, to his riches or whatever he has. Okay? So Abraham's been running this through his mind, and now I think he's been patient. You know, it's been years. It hasn't been like, you know, it's two months and it didn't happen. It's been years, and it even has probably been about a decade. Okay? It's a long time to wait for a promise from God, especially when you're on the aging end of it, and there's a clock that's ticking that things don't work like they used to work anymore. Okay? Babies aren't typically born to 80-year-olds or 70-year-olds or 90-year-olds. Okay? Like, they're just not. Okay? So, Abraham begins to think, well, maybe this is what he's saying. God is doing this. And, God, and he begins to work this out in his mind and say, God must mean this. He must mean my servant, Eliezer. He's the guy. It's got to be him. All right? And God says, no. He's coming right straight from inside of you, Abraham. And it says Abraham believed it. And God counted it to him for righteousness. And then some more time Verse, chapter number 16, where we pick up. Now, of course, Abraham and, and Sarah have discussed these things. Abram and Sarai have discussed these things. Now it's been years, and God's going to give us a child, and she's excited, and then she's probably not believing after a while. Like, really, this is impossible, and now this is all possible. Okay? So, chapter number 16, where we pick up the story. Verse number 1. Through three, please. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath refrained from bearing. I pray thee, go in with her maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to Abram's wife. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram, and dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Okay, so here he's been ten years in Canaan, which means he's now in his 80s. Okay, he's in his 80s, and been, since the promise, around ten years. Had some time since he's been clarified that, no, Abraham, it's yours. It's going to be yours. It's not just the servant. Okay? It's going to be yours. And Sarah specifically starts to say, well, um, we got a problem because I'm not getting any younger. Clearly, God must mean something else. So I've been thinking. Now, this is brought up by Sarah, which means Sarah really wants this to happen, okay? No matter what. And she's almost willing to pay any price. She has seen her husband wander around the world and followed him wandering around this promised land. And she's seen blessings that she's gotten and things from God. And she believes in God. Her faith is just like Abram's in that it's not perfect. 
she struggled. So she's saying, well, maybe this is the way that it's got to happen. Because in their culture, it often was this way. When they had handmaids, okay, basically another woman in the house that worked alongside them and did things like that. If you were the wealthy one, you had servants. And it was not uncommon for the women servants all to be lesser wives or concubines of the husbands. It gave more children, which gave more people to work and more wealth and more ability to do different things, okay? It was not uncommon. It was not the way that when they had the promise that, that they probably didn't even have Hagar as a handmaid. First of all, they were probably not that wealthy when they first left. And even if they were, might be the fact when they went to Egypt, they might have gotten her. She's an Egyptian handmaid. Okay? So when they went to Egypt, they may have said, hey, we're kind of wealthy now. We can probably afford to have somebody to help us. So along comes Hagar. And I think... Sarah really thought this a lot. Now, I don't use the words thought it out well because she didn't think it out well, but she thought about it a lot. And I think it ate her up. I think it really bothered her that it didn't happen. Okay? I think, and waiting on God is difficult. And that, I don't care what you're waiting on and how long you wait on God. Waiting on God is very difficult. I remember before I got married, not even ever knowing that person that I was going to get married to. And I prayed, and I had a list. And it was a list of, I don't know, 25 or 35 things. And I went down that list, and I prayed every day, faithfully for that list. And I prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and... I went out west, thought, oh, maybe that's an opportunity. Looking for opportunities out there for things to happen. Maybe God sent me there for something to happen. And then I was supposed to go to Pennsylvania. And that was supposed to, and all of a sudden, all those things fell through, and here I was, back here, without an answered prayer. No wife, even on the horizon. I prayed and prayed and prayed. Prayed for two and a half years for that very same list every single day. And when it all came down to it, I got a little tired of praying for that list sometimes. Tired of waiting, thinking, there's nothing even happening out there. There's no prospect, there's no nothing. I don't even know anybody. Had a few opportunities, they were terrible. They were not fun at all. Even the first date. And I thought, wow, how are you going to be married to a person for 50 years if you can't even handle three hours? So things just weren't working, weren't working. And waiting for God is, is difficult. And I think that's where Sarah is with this. Okay. Finally, one day, the right thing all happened. It was by what I thought was going to be just another blind date set up and it was not. 
God had planned. When I went back and looked, all the things were fulfilled on the list. Okay? Which is what God had the plan for. God had that plan. Okay? God knew, and my faith had to be strengthened, and I had to wait. So Sarah is doing the same thing. She's waiting, she's waiting, and it's difficult. She says, well, do this. Now, the way that it seems there, uh, she says, well, just go in uh, and uh, go sleep with my handmaid and Hagar, and there you go. That'll be it. So what does, what does he do? Verse number four and he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judged between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarah, Behold, thy handmaid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarah dealt with hardly with her, she fled from her face. So Abraham's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. The, there's a problem there, okay? <laughs> the, there's a problem with men and women. And, th and this is from the beginning. And this is probably an unpopular thing to talk about here. Uh, but men and women are built differently. God created them differently. Uh, as he created human race, everybody differently, he also created a variety within the entire human race. He created a variety within men and women. Okay, And he also he created some roles that he said, this is my plan for you to show the world who I am. Okay? Now, both of these things are godly. Both of these roles are godly. In other words, God exhibits both of these things. But women and men both have a role. And here's what I'm going to just tell you about that. This is not about the men and women's role so much as the men and women where they falter. They have a role in which they're supposed to step up and do certain things. And they falter in that they don't do that. Okay? And that has started since Adam and Eve, and it has gone through the human race again and again and again. Men are supposed to step up into responsibility. Okay? And their failure is that they shrink back from responsibility. They don't do the things they need to do as a leader and stand up and say, we are going to do this as a household. In love, with their wife, Yes, 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 yes. All of those things. But it's their responsibility to do it. God says, you are supposed to step up and do that. You're made to do that. Okay? You're made to do that. And the women on their side 
are supposed to support them in their responsibility and not go the other way. And what they tend to do is I'll, I'll use the word overbear where they say, get out of my way, I'm going to do this. Instead of lovingly going and saying, I love this man. I want to help you build our family together. I want to support what's right and do it. Instead, he shrinks back, she pushes in, and instead of the balance, the balance is all wrong. There's no balance. So what happens here? Sarah's got an idea. You go do this. Abram should have said, no. We'll wait for God. But he didn't. He said, okay. Right? <laughs> Don't have to ask me twice. Okay? And stepped right into it. She was trying to create a way for God's plan to happen. God doesn't need us to create a way. If I force this, if I push this, if I create this, if I make this happen, it'll happen. Okay? And it's a struggle with humankind. So it's no different with with. Uh, Abram and Sarah, and he says, well, instead of saying, no, I'm here to support you and say, we can't do this. Let's wait on God. Instead, he's like, yeah, I'll do it. He does it. Hagar gets pregnant. And the moment that Hagar gets pregnant, Hagar looks at Sarah and says, I'm pregnant or not, and you are going to take this baby. I am hateful of you, and jealous of you, and angry at you. I just despise you. Imagine that. Two people going after each other in the same household. Hard to believe, right? But there they are, two ladies going at each other's throats who had this plan going to work fine, except it was never going to work fine, really. So this happens, Hagar then comes and she's angry, and then now Sarah's angry at Abraham because it all happened, although it was her idea, but he never stood up for the right thing and never said, nope, we're not going to do that, we've got to follow God. Because that would have been the right step. No, we're going we're gonna to follow God. He promised. He's got to bring this the right way. And I want this baby with you. That's who God promised. Me and you. Well, that's what we thought anyways. But they kind of kept twisting it and twisting it and twisting it a little as time went on until eventually it's twisted over and it's not really what God planned. But they went ahead and did it anyways. And so when they did it, She's angry, he's angry, she's angry, and she goes, and instead of saying, all right, we're going to fix this somehow, 
He says, well, don't ask me what to do. It's your handmaiden. You do with her whatever you want. And so what's she do? She treats her mean. Because <laughs> that's going to fix it. Treats her so mean that Hagar runs away. Whew. That's over. Right? But not really. It's not over at all. Hagar is run away. She's out there. And now we're going to pick up in verse number 7. Uh, let's all read verses 7 through 16 as we find the story of what happens. I'll start out with 7. And as I, I will establish... I'm sorry. Wrong one. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord... That's chapter 16, verse 7. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And she said, Hagar, arise, me, for he cometh thou, and thither thou go. And she said, I take him away to him and save her life. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall be shall not be numbered for multitude. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. All right. <clears throat> she runs away. Sarah's angry at her. She runs away and God visits her as she's running away. It says the angel of the Lord many times. This is a pre-incarnate Christ that shows up. We don't know that 100% here. Uh, sometimes it's just an angel, a messenger angel, but sometimes it's Jesus himself that shows up and speaks to people. It happens throughout the Old Testament. Okay? Either way, she is not forgotten. She says what she says. But God saw me here. He paid attention to me. I thought I was nobody. God does not care whether you're a slave or a king. He looks at your heart. He looks at your what you've been given and what you did with it and your motives. And he looks at Hagar, and Hagar probably didn't have much choice in this whole thing. But there is Hagar. She runs away because she's treated terribly by a woman whose idea it was for her to do what she did. Seems a little ironic. But here's what God says. subject unto her. In other words, 
go and you obey and you work it out. That is one of the hardest charges that God gives a person. Go back, follow your pride, don't be afraid, and just be humble. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to bless it so much that I came out to visit you. I'm going to bless it so much that I'm going to take your son and build an empire out of him. All right? He becomes, Ishmael becomes the father of all of the Arabs, okay, within the Middle East. He also has 12 princes that come out of his lineage, all right? He grows in that and grows powerful. And it says, though, he's a wild man. Everybody's fighting against him all the time. Even to this day, there's battles amongst many of the Arabs, and especially the, the Jews uh, and also the Arabs. Okay, there, there is a great fighting amongst them. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of who will be Abraham's promised son are always at each other, battling with each other. Okay? Because God's word is true back then and now. It's still the truth. To have peace in the Middle East is never happened really for any length of time. It's been short little bursts and then war again, war again, war again. Okay? Over history. So here he is, or here Hagar is. She goes back. Ishmael's born, all right? It's tough for Hagar. Sarah must have to swallow her pride somewhere along the line as well. Because she's got to take her back. And she's going to have to treat her nice and kind. And it might, and I'm guessing it didn't happen right away. I'm guessing she was probably angry. And I'm guessing somewhere along the line, God stepped in, and spoke to them and said, you're going to straighten this out. You did this. You're going to straighten this out. And you're going to swallow your pride. And you're going to live this way for a while. And he's 86 years old. And now they wait some more, right? <laughs> now, was it, could it have been that God had the plan somewhere at that point? And then they jumped in and said, we got this. We were going to fix this. And that set the plan back. I don't know. Abraham didn't know. Sarah didn't know. Nobody knows. Only God knew what the plan was. Okay. Was that their opportunity that they could have had that their own son earlier? Maybe. Maybe not. Again, we'll never know. All right, so that's chapter 16. Chapter 17, we had, need to hit a couple of highlights in it. When as Abraham was 90 years old, okay, four more years have passed, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee. 
Thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For the father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and unto thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abram, Abraham, thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. Alright, so, here it is, he's getting pretty clear. God now, again, he's been 15 years since he had his first covenant or first promise made by God. And God saying, look, what I want from you, although I will make you a nation and I will build kings out of you and nations out of you. I will do amazing things. I'll give you wealth. I'll just keep exceedingly multiplying you. But I want to be your God. And I want to be the God of all of your I want something personal, all right? God wants something personal from you, a relationship. I mean, that's the, that's the big basis of it. He does not want a surface relationship. He does not want a fake relationship. He does not want you to give him lip service. He wants you to feel how you feel, and he wants to work through it with you in a relationship. Best relationships tend to be relationships where not necessarily did everyone agree, but they went through the storm together. They fought through things together. And it builds intimacy, which just means closeness, personal connection. When you go through something with a person, hard thing you can never break that in a lifetime maybe never is exaggeration but it's difficult to break that my grandfather grew up with seven brothers and sisters in Norway they had a wonderful childhood in some ways but a hard childhood they it was difficult for them when they came to America picked on by teachers and students, neighbors. They didn't fit in. They were Norwegians, and they lived in a Norwegian ghetto in Brooklyn. Okay, which you've probably never heard of a Norwegian ghetto. But it was each nationality, as they moved in there and came speaking nothing but their own native tongue, came and survived together in small pockets my brother my grandfather went with his brothers and sisters to school and they stuck together when one of them got in trouble 
had to stay after school, whether they actually did anything really wrong or not, all the rest of them waited outside the school for them until they were done. They had tough time and they stuck together. Those times in their childhood created a bond. And even though all of them lived in different states and different places throughout their lives, to the day they died, they all wrote each other letters, talked with each other regularly, constantly communicated, and felt a connection and a bond that you never really broke in their whole life because they went through hard times together. Okay, It's what builds a relationship. So God is saying, I want to be your God. He's going to tell Abraham about some difficult times coming ahead for his people. God wants personal connection with you. Right? He wants to be personal. So he comes through and he says, your name no longer is Abram. I'm going to change it to Abraham. So Abram essentially means high father. Okay? I father, which you say, well, that's good. You know, that's a good thing. And Abraham, but God has something different. He says, you are going to be father of a multitude. I'm going to put your name, make it my promise to you. I'm changing your name just a bit. So that you understand, and maybe other people do, there was a reason I chose you. There's a reason I did this. I connected with you, and I changed your name. And what God does often with us is he takes, he creates an identity around our faith. He says, here's my promise to you. We all have many of the promises that God gives us in the Bible. Right? All different promises of faith and things like that. But then there are personal things that God gives to us. Little personal things. Sometimes they are three or four words. Okay? Sometimes it's more. Sometimes you get just a few in your lifetime. Sometimes people get a lot more than that. He wants you to identify by your connection with him. All right? And so he changes and says, you're, you're going to be defined by this promise. People will look at you, and thousands of years later, little kids are going to jump around in a church and sing songs about Father Abraham and many sons. They're all going to... And they don't even know what they're singing about, but what they don't understand when they're young they can learn through growth and study and learning to say God did something great in this man's life and we should look at this I should be like this right? I should be defined by something and that's all the song says he had many sons right no nope, it doesn't it says many sons had father Abraham oh backwards there it is right I am one of them and so are you so let's praise the Lord. And so you see how God, through faith, brings in other nations, people, from beginning to end. Right? He connects us in ways, and God works in ways. And 
Here's a very interesting, crazy thing that God says. God wants something to be very, very personal. All right. Now let's let's we're gonna skip that section for just a moment. We'll come back to it in a, in a moment. But verse number fifteen and sixteen. So Sarah also gets a new name. Can you read verse fifteen and sixteen, please? Okay, so Sarai and Sarah. Sarai is actually, as you look it up, it essentially means ruler, more in a generic sense, okay? And almost, as I was looking it up, trying to dig out what it really was, it's certainly not as feminine as Sarah the leader, the ruler, leader, master. Okay, that, that's kind of what it is. Leader, master, ruler, and that's okay for the name. But what God says her name is going to be Sarah, and that means it's from the basis of being a ruler, but it now specifically means noble lady, princess, had no royal blood. No royal blood. But God created a line of kings or will create a line of kings from her. And so God gives her nobility. Even though she hasn't been very noble lately with Hagar, okay? <laughs> she hasn't been very noble acting. And yet God still has this plan because she does have faith. Okay, she has faith, and it's counted in the book of Hebrews how Abraham and Sarah believed. Okay, they believed. Now, I said there's something very personal. God had a plan for something very personal, very intimate. Um, and it's a strange thing, except you have to look at it as this. God was going to mark his people. And so, in verses, and we're not going to read them for time's sake, but in verses 10 through 14, he goes through and says, my covenant with you, my, the mark of my covenant with you is circumcision. All right? I want you to cut the foreskins off of yourselves. Now remember, Abram's old, and they say, that's not a very good, or it's kind of a dangerous thing, the older you get. Okay? Everybody in your, every male in your family will be circumcised from now and forevermore. Okay? Every servant, every person that belongs to your household, he is going to be marked. Now, like I said, it's a personal thing. Okay? It's an intimate and close thing, that process, it's not like piercing your ear or something where everybody knows. 
okay? But it is a mark that cannot be erased. It's there. It's done forever. Just do it. It's done. And so that is how God, I want you to think of that, because they talk about spiritual circumcision and things in the future, uh, in the New Testament, where it is leaving a personal mark that cannot be taken away in your life. That God changes who you are. You can't just say, I follow God, I follow God, and then turn one day and just don't follow God. Okay? If there's a true relationship, he doesn't let you fall away. He holds you. He brings you. Now, you may drift for a while, but he brings you back. All right? So, when you have that close personal relationship, you have to have a mark that makes you stand out. You have to be marked on the inside and changed. And that is what God wants of you. He wants it of me. He wants it of everybody. Is to have such a personal relationship that God, with God that people don't necessarily know what it is that makes you different. They can tell you that. And it doesn't go away. Okay? It doesn't change over time. So that's circumcision. And then finally, he says one more thing to him. All right? Verse number 17, as I read this, will. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child. Oh, I'm sorry. I. Yes, no. I will bless her. This was after Sarah. I will bless her and make her a mother of all nations. And Abraham fell in his heart and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant. And with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him. I will make him fruitful, make him multiply exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this, select time, at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him, and he went up, and God went up from Abraham. So there they are. All right, and he says, he says, look, it's Sarah. You've been trying to make all these things. You've been trying to put together all these options. And I'm telling you, Sarah will be the mother. She'll be the queen. She'll be the one where all these people come from. This is going to happen. And as far as you think things are getting away from it, it doesn't matter how far you how impossible you think it is. Whether she was 70 or 90, makes no difference to me. I can do what I want when I want. I, as God, will make this happen, and I am going to do this. Yes, I will bless Ishmael because he's yours. I'll bless him. I'm going to have this nation. It's going to come out of him. We've talked a little bit about that. But that's not the promise that I gave you. I gave you a specific promise. The promise is this. 
So the big problem with Sarah and Abraham was they just didn't quite believe that God could do it enough. I need to help God. I need to get this done. It's done in my time. Seems like this is the time. There's no other way. Everything's impossible. And yet God says, I can do it any time I want. Not on your time scale. I don't care when I make Sarah be able to have a baby or not have a baby. I do that. It's on my time. And so he looks at that Abraham. He struggles with it. It says he laughed. Okay? But God is very kind to Abraham. He's very kind to Abraham. Next week, all right, you're going to see how Sarah, too, is going to laugh. And he's going to catch her in that. And it's not exactly the same response, okay? Because more time has passed. Faith has to grow. You have to see, you have to believe this is going to happen. Not your plans, my plans. All right? So, going to see those things. Abram goes, the rest of the chapter finishes out Abraham and his whole household circumcised. Okay? They, they, they permanently gone that way. Not going back anymore. They can't turn back. They are totally going ahead with the way that God has told them. Believe in God's promises. Learn to have faith. And this is a process. You see, it's it's kind of a, it's not like a, yeah, Abraham stood up and had faith and he waited for 50 years until it happened. He struggled. He laughed. He did things. He didn't believe it, but then he did. And he heard God's word and he believed. And he struggled again. And then he heard God's word and was reassured by it. And that's what faith takes to grow. So we'll see that. We're going to see how God's going to visit them right in their house next week. And we're going to see the things that are going to happen and lots of trouble again. Okay? And we're going to see what happens with Abraham and Lot also. So, all right. Thank you very much. Have a good night.